this morning. Any questions from you guys about yesterday or the day before? I never asked you if you guys did your homework the first night. I asked the second group to read the last two book of Ephesians and and see what Paul was talking about when he was talking about. Um, I know last night or yesterday was a lot going through the first three petitions. Today we're going to go through the last three petitions. We're not going to go through the conclusion because the conclusion is actually not found in Scripture. Um, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Um, that is a part of church history that was added to the Lord's Prayer at a very early date. Um, but for time's sake, I'm not going to fit that in. Um, again, we're going to be looking primarily at Matthew's Gospel um, in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to talk a little bit more about context um, of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and as I said yesterday, I think I said it in this class, I know I said it in the second class, very much how the, the, the Ten Commandments are divided in Exodus 20. The first four commandments look at God and how we are to worship God. And the second table of the law, the second part, the last six commandments, look at God's people. That's why God. Well, that's why when Jesus summarizes the law, he can say, "Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor." Love the Lord your God is the first four commandments, and love your neighbor is the last six commandments. In the very same way, the Lord's prayer, the first three petitions, are directed toward God and are about God, and the last three petitions are about God's people. So we will be speaking about the second part of the Lord's prayer today. The Fourth petition, give us our daily bread. So, as I was talking this morning with my youth girls, right after high school, I actually didn't know what I really wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to go into ministry, um, but I didn't know how I wanted to get there. And so I took a gap year and I moved to Europe for a year and went to a Bible school that was more about the experience of experiencing the universal church of a place where they sent students from all over the world to a small Christian school of about 150 people. I think out of 150 people, there were like 30 countries represented. And so I did a lot of traveling in between semesters, and I actually transferred from a, a school in England to a school in Austria. And in between that, I spent a month traveling, and I went all over Spain and Italy and Greece and Switzerland. And right before I was supposed to go to school in Austria, a bad thing happened to me, as has happened to some of our students this week. I ran out of money. I started living in train stations. I lived uh, an entire week off of a single loaf of bread or a baguette and a can of Nutella. That's what I had every day for an entire week. I lived under a bridge for three days in Austria because I didn't have any place to live. Finally, my parents were like, you know, he hasn't called in a while. <laughs> this is before we had cell I mean, I didn't have a cell phone, so I, didn't, I wasn't able to call home. Um, and so I finally found a free Internet cafe, and I emailed home, and I said, I'm out of money. I need help. My parents put money in 
my a bank account, and I called them, and what did they say to me? They said, you are crazy. Why did you run out of food? No, they didn't say that. My parents loved me. They said, are you okay? What else do you need to survive? Because my parents love me, and they want what's best for me. Luckily for me, my parents love me. Um, they still do. Very similarly, in the Lord's Prayer, we are asking God for our daily bread because we are asking our Father who loves us to give us daily what we need. Now, my biggest problem with this part of the Lord's Prayer of give us our daily bread isn't with the prayer itself, but it's with how the church interprets this passage. Because I think too quickly we jump to the spiritual needs of what our daily bread is, rather than actually looking at the sustenance of physical bread that we need. And I think I can make the point here to say that Jesus is actually talking about physical bread. In the first century, it was an agrarian community meaning people grew food and you bought your food and daily hunger was very real. People didn't know what was going to be on their tables if there was a famine because they didn't just go to the grocery store to pick up their groceries every morning. They had to find someone who grew the food and buy the food from them. And if there was a famine, that person didn't have food which meant the community in which the people lived in didn't have food. And I also can think that what helps us is the context, right? So the context of this passage helps us understand what this passage says. And in Matthew 6, verse 16, directly after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus starts talking about fasting. I don't believe he's talking about spiritual fasting. I think he's actually talking about fasting from physical food. Then, after that, in Matthew 6, 25-26, Jesus says, Do not be anxious about your life or what you eat or what you drink. This is a physical sustenance. What we actually put in our bodies that sustains us. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it is either or. I am saying it is a both and. And I think to be good readers of the Bible, we need to understand that what Jesus is talking about is a both and situation. This is talking about spiritual food. Jesus is the bread of life. That is very clear. He says that in the Gospel of John. But Jesus, or but God Himself provided manna from heaven to the Israelites in the desert. This was physical bread. He didn't just meet their spiritual needs. The Gospel always speaks to both our physical and our spiritual needs. Yes, we have been raised to life in our spiritual being. But Jesus promises a physical resurrection of our bodies in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Our bodies are part of His good creation. And so He cares for our bodies. Oftentimes I feel that the church glosses over this. Um, And I just want to make sure that we address that it is a a both-and issue. And I'm kind of assuming that us here at RYM usually don't often pray this prayer thinking of physical food. Because my guess is if you're here at RYM and you can pay to get here, um, maybe that's a bad assumption. But I'm guessing that you all show up and your parents usually have food either on the table or in to-go bags or you go out to eat or something. But I think what this prayer, so give us, plural, God's people, that's something that we'll look at later, a little bit later, is every aspect of the last part of the Lord's Prayer is a communal aspect. It's not give me my daily bread, it's give us our daily bread. It's how do we look at those around us and how they receive their daily bread. How do we make sure that the people in our church do have food on their tables? I think a great example of this is the ladies at our church do a phenomenal job of if someone is sick or has a surgery, before me or our pastor or our admin assistant get to them, they already have a meal plan set up for that family because they are providing a physical sustenance for someone who is in need because of a physical surgery, something has happened, and this is a great display of God's blessing for His people. I think we can go even farther than that. I think we can look outside in our communities and look to see how are people eating in our communities. My wife's first job out of college was teaching Spanish in an elementary school. And in this elementary school, 85% of the students were on a supplied lunch in a very rich city. This school, 85% of the students couldn't afford lunch every day. How are we looking within our communities as God's people, taking the gospel of the kingdom to these people and also fulfilling the Lord's Prayer and asking God to fulfill our physical needs as well as our spiritual needs? We also do need our spiritual food. Jesus reminds us that we need nourishment. Turn with me to John chapter 6. Here we see in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then in verse 22, He begins speaking about He is the bread of life. And how He is the source of the life. In verse 35, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. 
And whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. We are asking Jesus to meet all of our needs through a petition. Just like we signed yesterday, I still have it. My fake petition of let us swim, which will be fulfilled today, by the way. Our petition worked. We're going to be able to swim today. We are asking God in Christ to fulfill our needs. So, application. How many of you have thanked your parents for the food that they provide? Some of you might work. Some of you might have jobs. But overall, our parents or grandparents or whoever we live with supply what our needs are every day without us even knowing. I just had to explain to my children that we actually have to pay for our house. They thought that's just something that we we all get. It's just second nature to them that we go home and we have a roof over our heads. And I told them that we have to pay for this. My guess is none of you pay the mortgage for your homes. How often are we thankful both to God and to our parents for supplying that need that we have? Give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting, so I spoke about this in verses 25 to 26 of Matthew. This is the famous passage about being anxious. And it's interesting that Jesus actually relates our anxiety to our physical nourishment. Now, I come with no personal experience of anxiety. But as my wife has allowed me to share, she has struggled with anxiety for a very long time. Anxiety is a very real thing. It is not something that we say, just have more faith and your anxiety will go away. That's not, that's not how anxiety works. But what's interesting for us to look at at the Lord's Prayer is someone who doesn't get to pray to a loving God and Father for their daily sustenance, Anxiety is the logical conclusion. If we don't have a God who loves us and a God who sustains us and a God who does provide our needs, if we pray to something other than God, we will be anxious because there is no one that will listen to us. Anxiety is the logical conclusion of not having our needs met. This request is freeing. Lord, give us our daily bread. But this request is also the opposite of, Lord, give me bread and I'll obey you. Or, Lord, I obeyed you today. Please give me bread. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, we always have to view this as, we are making a request to a God who loves us. Not based upon the work that we have done, 
but based upon the work of Christ. At 7.30 p.m. on a Sunday evening in May of 2015 in Wisconsin, John Stoffel took his family to enjoy a, a, a walk in the park as they often did on Sunday night. They were walking over a bridge of, in his family of five, his wife Erin, his three children, Olivia, Selah, and Ezra. When out from behind a bush, a man jumped out and began opening fire on everyone in the park. It killed one of the children instantly. Both John and his wife Erin were shot. The wife Erin jumped in front of her two children so that they could flee and go get help. On the site, both John was pronounced dead and Aaron was taken to a hospital where she was in intensive recovery for two days. And when she came to, she could not speak. So she communicated to police and investigators through a whiteboard and to the doctors through the whiteboard. And finally, her family came in to, to, to speak with her and they told her that John had deceased. And she was able to write on the right whiteboard the last words that John ever said to her. John's words to his wife, after him and his family had just been open, had been gunned down by this gunman, was forgive the shooter. This is a man that understood the gospel of Jesus. This is a man who understood the power of the Lord's Prayer. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In a world full of hatred, a man shooting a family while taking a walk together on a Sunday night John was an example of this prayer. In the midst of the hatred and the evil of this world, he knew that we were called to forgive others. And he knew the reason that we forgive others is because we first have been forgiven of our sins. For this is exactly what verse 14 of Matthew chapter 6 says, the verse directly after the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer says, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive you your trespasses. Forgiving Forgive us for departing from constantly running from your standards is what we're asking Jesus to do for us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. God forgave you. Therefore, you shall forgive others. In forgiving others, you are only giving them what you have first received which is given to you 
which is given to us through God's unmerited grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. We have to ask ourselves, sometimes, and maybe you haven't thought about this, but I'll introduce this idea to you. This morning we read um, in our devotion, I think we read day, our group read day three. I don't know if we're supposed to be on day three or day four. It's kind of weird on what days are which, but we read day three today. It was Romans 8, 1 through 11 or 1 through 12, uh, which for me personally is one of, Romans 8, 1 is one of my favorite passages in all Scripture, which seems heretical, but to say one is better than the other because it's all God's Word. But we have to ask ourselves, so we, there is therefore no condemnation for those found in Jesus Christ. So why do we ask forgiveness if we have already been forgiven? Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. There seems like there might be a little inconsistency here with Paul's theology in Romans. We have been baptized with Christ, is what he says in 6. We have been raised up to newness of life. We have been raised from the dead with Christ in the historical act of His resurrection. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Jesus. So why do we ask forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer? Why does Jesus teach His disciples if we're already forgiven, why do we ask for forgiveness? You ever thought about that? Well, I'll tell you why we ask for forgiveness. Because Jesus knows that we're still going to sin. Jesus knows that, yes, once and for all, you have been justified, you've been forgiven in the eyes of God by faith in Christ. But he also understands that his disciples are about to go out and they're still going to sin. They're going to still need to ask for forgiveness. It's interesting to also think of the Old Testament. When God gives the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, he has just redeemed them. They are a redeemed people of, of, of God. They have just come out of Egypt into the wilderness because God has brought them out by His mighty, outstretched hand. And yet, he, and he gives them the law and says, I am your God, you are my people, therefore fulfill the law, therefore follow the law. We don't follow the law for to become God's people. We are automatically God's people in redemption. And then He gives us the law. But it's interesting. He gives them the law and He also gives them the sacrificial system because God knows they're going to break the law. In the same way, Jesus tells us to ask for forgiveness. Because even though we have been justified, our salvation is complete in Christ. But God knows that we will still mess up. And that we still need to ask for forgiveness.
The Scriptures can continually tell us that we receive forgiveness in Christ. And we often understand this forgiveness in terms of other people. In my own experience, in my own walk with Jesus, I find it personally very easy to forgive other people. The person that I find the hardest to forgive is actually myself. Now, the longer I'm in the ministry, I see that there are really two types of people. There are people that judge others more harshly than they judge themselves, or there are the people that forgive others more freely than they forgive themselves. But as my illustration began with John Stofill, we have to ask ourselves have we truly forgiven ourselves? Have we truly looked at the blood of Christ and forgiven our own shortcomings? Not saying that our sin is okay, because as I said our first day, sin is a big deal. But are we understanding the gospel for ourselves enough to forgive ourselves so that we can fulfill the Lord's prayer and also forgive those around us. Sometimes it's also hard to forgive others. Because sometimes we get burned really bad. Sometimes it's really hard to forgive that girl at school who said something that she knew was a lie about you. Sometimes it's hard to forgive that sibling because you know what they did to you. They did it on purpose. And you were slighted. It's really hard to forgive the parent who decides to leave the other parent. But as this Lord's Prayer teaches us, the strength of forgiveness is not found in ourselves. The strength of forgiveness is found in the cross of Christ where we first receive forgiveness. And out of the forgiveness that we have received, this is the forgiveness that we extend to others. It is only by the power of Christ that we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. Christianity distinguishes itself by tying justice and love together. And it comes together at the cross. The Gospel reminds us that as we come in prayer and confession to our Father in Heaven, that we are continually asking over and over again that He forgive us because we continually over and over and over again live a life not in Him, but in our first parents, Adam who chose to do what was best, what they thought was best for them, rather than understanding God's will for them. The sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
again, the first thing I want us to realize is that the us, the communal aspect of this passage, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray this much like we sing psalms, and I said this yesterday, side by side with one another. God has brought us from our individuality into a life in the community, in the body of Christ. We need each other. Need, all capital words, we need one another. Of course, we have been brought into life with a personal relationship in God. But as we see the New Testament writers over and over again speak of the benefit and the need of salvations of individuals in a communal aspect. We are God's covenant people. What I love about this, as I said yesterday, I get to pray the Lord's Prayer with other people in mind. Whether it be Mary Agnes or Katie or Alexis, who are three girls in my youth group. As I ask God to not take me into temptation, I ask God to not take us into temptation and deliver us from evil. Because sometimes their temptation is going to overwhelm them. Just like sometimes it's going to overwhelm me. And we need one another. As a pastor, um, there's I, I'm caught in a, a weird dichotomy. So when someone doesn't come to church... I typically go up to someone and say, we really missed you at church. 99% of the time, the immediate response is an explanation of why they're at church. 100% of the time, I'm not looking for the explanation of why you weren't at church. I'm telling you, we missed you because we missed you. (laughs) Because I think it is important for you to be at church, not to keep attendance high, not to make sure that you give an offering. I think it's important for people to be in church to be reminded of the gospel. But I also think it's important for people to be at church because when that one person is not at church, the whole body of Christ is missing the gifts that that person brings that nobody else has in the body of Christ. When Katie is not at church, what she brings specifically in her gifts, the church body misses. And she also misses the gifts of the rest of the body for herself. It's very hard to communicate that to people. I pray that when your pastor or youth minister says they missed you at church, that that is what they mean. Of course we want you there because we love you. But we also want you there for the benefit that we get to stand next to each other and pray for each other. Because it's a lot easier to remember to pray for people when you see them. When you're standing shoulder to shoulder. When you're confessing your sin together. When you're singing together. Lead us not into temptation. This prayer directs us in how we come to submit to our God 
and how to do it with one another. Next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, think of it as exercising the muscle of learning how to pray for one another. We're working out the muscle. We're teaching it how to pray. This could lead to a gospel prayer that is dangerous for our churches. Because we're no longer just worried about ourselves. We're worried about the people in the pew in front of us and the pew behind us, the pew next to us, and even the people that aren't in the pew that day. This prayer is dangerous, as I said yesterday, because it looks outside of ourselves to the one who gives us strength and to those next to us that need the same reminder that we do of the gospel of Jesus. Do not lead us into temptation. Seems kind of odd for the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Why would God lead us into temptation? Why wouldn't He want always what is best for us? But if we understand Romans 8, 28, and what we said that all things work for the good of those who know God. We come here and we might scratch our head. Is Why are we asking God not to lead us into temptation? My senior year in high school, I went to Colorado with my small group of guys from our church and our small group leader. I think there was 12 of us and two leaders. And we went to help at a family camp. A guy of a family friend of mine had this camp in Colorado and families would come all over the country to spend a week in the Rockies and have a good time and worship and fellowship. And we went to go and help him update some of the, the buildings and with 12 senior boys, you get we were basically free manual labor. But the day after we arrived, beginning that next morning until... For the next 48 hours, it snowed five and a half feet in 48 hours. It was the most snow this area had ever seen. So you can guess what we did for the entire week. We shoveled snow. And we shoveled snow, and we shoveled snow, and we shoveled snow. The snow drifts got so bad that he had two-story buildings that the drifts were so high you could walk from the door of the entrance around the building and walk straight up to onto the roof of the building. And when we went there, we just took two vans because, you know, it's, the, it's on spring break. We didn't think there was going to be a lot of snow. They typically didn't get a lot of snow in this area. But as we were leaving, we were going down this two-mile driveway of gravel road, and there were snow embankments on either side. And we had to go up this hill to get to the main highway. And I was sitting in the van, and my our youth leader, youth leader, was driving. And from my experience, we went up the hill, we got on the road, and we drove away. Everything's okay. Beautiful snow embankments. It was great. 
What he later told us is once we started getting to the top of the hill, the van started to slip and go sideways off the mountain. But this man that ran this camp was behind us in his bulldozer, and he actually took the bucket of the bulldozer and lifted up the back of the van by the axle and pushed it up the hill. Now he did this so well that me sitting in the van never knew it happened. And I'm, I'm typically very observant. I almost always know what's going on around me. And I did not know that this bucket had picked up the van and lifted us to safety. This is the type of safety that God our Father provides us. That sometime when we pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, we are being preemptive. And God is going to protect us from things that we don't even know that's going on around us because He loves us. But I think also embedded in this story, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is exactly what Morgan talked about last night. The Gospel never tells us, because you believe in Jesus, your life is going to be peachy. It's going to be great. It's going to be stress and anxiety free. It never tells us that we're not going to have financial problems. Social emotional, spiritual problems. Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray, do not lead me in temptation, but deliver us from evil, because He's reminding them that no matter where you are in your temptation, no matter where you are in, with evil, our Father will be with us. And He wants what is best for us. Jesus is literally telling His disciples, I'm sending you out, and guess what? It's going to be hard. But I will be with you. This is not about our ability. About what we can do through our temptations upon our own strength. We're asking God to be with us. Because it will be hard. We will face trials. And if you're like me, when you face sin and temptation, I like to be alone in those times. But the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are not alone, but that God is with us. He will deliver us as He has time and time again. Jesus loves us and His disciples enough to tell us that the journey that we're, on, that we're on is going to be hard. Temptation and evil leads us away from God. It leads us away from the life of goodness in Christ. It leads us away from the fruit of the Spirit. It leads us into isolation and it tells us nobody cares for me. Sin tells us, unless you do this, no one will appreciate who you are. But that it is the opposite of what Christ tells us. It tells us, I love you even in your sin. I love you even in your brokenness.
Look at the order of these petitions. These last three. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is teaching us that evil is real. Temptation is strong. And that on our own, we are too weak. The disciples are aware of their weakness. They should not desire such testing. They should desire to pray to be spared of these situations in which they are going to be vulnerable. If they do find themselves in such situations, however, they must pray, deliver us from evil. And the great reminder is that God is faithful to be with us. His people. As He sends us out to be kingdom agents, proclaiming the gospel that the King has come. The King is reigning now. If you want to follow this King, you will do His will as He has commanded you to. If you follow this King, you have the great privilege of calling the God of the universe Father. And if you follow this King, you must forgive others because you have first been forgiven. And if you follow this King, this life will be hard. But He will always be faithful to you. He will never leave you. And He will never cast you out because you are His children. We ask for God to protect us to provide for our needs, to lead us into what it looks like to be like Christ. This is why we pray the Lord's Prayer. This is the context of the Lord's Prayer. It shapes us into being Christians, those who represent Christ, those who depend upon God the Father for all their needs, just as Christ did when He was here on earth. And it also reminds us that we're in this together. The body of Christ, whom Christ is making a perfect, spotless lamb to be presented on a wedding feast that will trump all feasts. And this is why it's dangerous. Because everything inside of us wants the opposite of that. Because of our sin but we are still loved and beloved. Any questions? Alright, um, I'm going to turn this on and we're going to do the Lord's Prayer together. I forgot to do this yesterday. Um, and I was kicking myself all day. If it will even do it. There it is. The most dangerous prayer. Bum, bum, bum. Alright, let's stand. Let's stand and pray it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. For Yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You guys are dismissed.